I'm Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? There she is. Hey, you took a shower and so did I. I washed my hair. I I had, okay, my friend dyed my hair and I have my, it's all dyed. Oh, <laughs> shit. Uh-oh. It's like a purr. It's stuck there. Yeah. For, <laughs> I know. And I have, I have an audition, but thank gosh, in this audition, I'm auditioning to wear, to play someone that wears a hat so I can wear like oh, okay. a beanie, a beanie. You know what I bet would take that off? I mean, it'll just come off naturally with time, but turpentine. No, I would not recommend turpentine. I was going to say like a whitening toothpaste. If you put some like, you know, whatever, like Colgate Press. with whitening power. Yeah. I think the other thing that I think works is um is a nail polish remover, but then it takes off the dye. And then I've got gray sideburns and gray baby. Look, the bottom yeah, line not is. To mention, not to mention, you don't want to put nail polish remover on your face. Probably not. Although yeah. I had a friend who swore by putting rubbing alcohol all over her body to make her look younger. Now she was a little crazy. Whoa. That's. <laughs> incorrect she said, <laughs> i think she said audrey hepburn did that i'm like i don't think so audrey hepburn had a pet fawn but i don't think she has <laughs> i don't think she put i think you're mistaking the pet fawn for the alcohol rubbing alcohol but i didn't say anything because people have their beauty i had another friend who took onions and rubbed them on their cellulite because she said that got rid of cellulite Wow. Wow. What are we, we doing? We'll just do anything. Honestly, we'll just do anything. And honestly, we'll, I feel like 90% of the time people absolutely know that this dumb thing that they're trying to do is definitely not going to work like flat tummy tea. But, but because they, they love <laughs> the idea, they love the promise of it. Yeah. They'll, they'll shell out the cash and do it. And, and there probably is some type of like a placebo Sure. You know, effect. Maybe not losing weight, but like feeling good that you're doing something good for yourself. Did, did you ever know about the parasite diet? So, so <sighs> I, I can guess what it is. But well, yeah, it's very, it's sort of self explanatory. But, um, so women in this is when I worked for Nicolas Cage and, um, I heard about women either, yeah, going to India, people going to India and licking the ground to get a certain type of parasite or buying a parasite from a diet person here in LA that was like (sighs) thousands of dollars and you ate a certain kind of parasite and it wasn't a tapeworm. It was like some other thing that made you, but people were doing it. Yeah. I give you like Giardia. My son got Giardia, which is a dog, which is a disease that mostly dogs get when we lived in New York city and he was really little, like in a stroller, maybe he was three or four. And every day we, when we would be walking home, we'd go across this crosswalk where there was a big pothole like right by the curb and the pothole would fill with water. And several times when we were walking by, he would bend down like he wanted to drink it and I'd always yank him back. And one day, sure enough, when I'm not paying attention, he bends down and he licks that puddle right up. And he got Giardia. 
Oh my god! And he uh, there he lost quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't like a medical emergency or no. anything like that, but he lost weight and yeah. So I guess you could just do that, and then you don't have to pay any amount of money. You could just and, do that for free. I mean, the things people do, like they would go, they would get put into comas. You know, the, the sleep cure to lose weight. So you could get into a medically induced coma for ten days. Marilyn Monroe did it apparently. Um, you'd get into a medically induced coma for like six to seven days and then you wouldn't eat in your coma and wake up and be and be really thin for like yes valley of the dolls man that that oh holy shit well good morning to you uh let's see what's what's the what what's the what i um am moderating a panel of this festival called the sixth festival which is yes tell me all about it so patrice it's all back to the theater school patrice eggleston saw a photo of me gardening on Instagram and said, Hey, you're now a gardener. We're hosting this sixth festival and it's, it's because we're on the brink of the sixth uh, mass extinction. It's very depressing. Um, And so they decided to do something about it and they have a a climate change action festival about you you have just become a climate change warrior in the last month it's amazing like three weeks and she said would you like to host this panel about like um urban gardening um uh, urban agriculture there's two nonprofits. would you be the moderator i said sure so then i had to then i really read up on on these two organizations they seem amazing one is called um urban growers collective and one is called growing home and they both seek to um, heal communities through urban agriculture. And so I'm moderating that. So I had to learn all about that. And, 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 And it's so interesting to be in a relationship with a college professor that you have feelings about. Like I was always scared of Patrice. I thought she was um, not mean per se, but like she wasn't touchy feely like Phyllis. So I got Mm -hmm. scared of her, but she, you know, and I talked to her about the podcast because she was like, she was like, Oh yes. I said, you know, you're mentioned on the podcast. I said, we talked to Bridget. And so it was just full circle. Hey, let me run this by you. scraggly street coyotes okay so um i used to do spin class there's a place yeah there's a place here and i did i got all into the culture of it and i got to 100 rides and 200 rides and and then i have like orthopedic problems i have like this pinched nerve and it was getting really um exacerbated and i would have like numbness on the whole side of my body so i don't do it anymore but when i did there was part of what makes it fun is the instructors, you know, you get like really lively, enthusiastic instructors. And there was this one instructor, this guy named um, Adam, and he just, one of these like lights fills, fills the room with his positive joy. And it wasn't the kind of thing that I don't like of like only ever be positive. It was just that he was, he just, he seemed to have this like love love of his job and love of his husband he got married he did like a flash mob proposal and it caught some media attention and when they got married it was broad it was like live streamed and they had fans all all across the world anyway so i haven't seen him in several years because i haven't gone to this joyride in like three years at least um 
he died on Sunday. He just died. I, I go on Facebook and I see, you know, RIP Adam Marinelli. And I'm like, what? I mean, he was in his 30s. And, you know, when you start trying to glean like what happened from the comments and the oblique way that suicide oh, and, no. uh, and, and overdoses are often sort of, so there was just the sort of like some reference to he, he died suddenly or unexpectedly and that um, he had suffered with depression and, and addiction. And it really, I think this might be one of the first, which is now just going to be the rest of our lives, right? If people, you know, dying and, and that in it always being somewhat shocking to you. And I don't know the story of what happened to him, obviously, but it did just get me thinking, like, I really hope that it wasn't this thing of he was so known for his positivity. Maybe he felt that he couldn't ever show if he wasn't feeling, I don't know. I don't know. I hope that wasn't the case, but um, it was really just shocking and, and sad. And, and I think it may have might've been one of the first inklings I've had, which you've had a lot more experience with because you had a health scare. I think it was the first time I really felt like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And some of us kind of soon. Yeah. Which was disturbing. That's really sad. And I, I think about, it's interesting about social media too and, and suicide. And sometimes they say it right out and sometimes they say struggled with this or struggled with that. And there is a morbid for me. I'm always like really morbidly curious about, and especially having lost my dad and, and to, to basically suicide. I mean, whether it was intentional overdose or not, we'll never know. I just always say it was a suicide. Um, I, I want them to say it was a suicide. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that because I that, I forgot to get to the point of that's what I want to run by you is do you think people should talk about it? Yeah, I direct, do. Directly. Now there's there's so many there's so many different opinions on like I I am not for saying how the suicide was done because that gives people ideas sometimes, but I am for like I you know because my mom was in such denial about my father's death and the way he died that I was like, no, like the story that I tell my sister and I went to when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, my father had been dead two years. And so we went to the doctor and you have, she had to fill out all these forms and it said widower. And so we're in the room and you know, she picked widower. And so the doctor who I loved said, Oh, you're a widower. I'm sorry. Widow, right? I I mean, a widow, a widow, widow. you're a widow. And you're a widow. And what, what happened to your husband? And she said, Oh, he died of complications from asthma. And my sister and I looked at each other and I was like, Oh, you're really ashamed Mm -hmm. that. And also you probably blame yourself because you guys had a pretty Mm -hmm. bad marriage, but you can't say it. You're ashamed. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh, Oh, this is, this is what people do. They say, no, they'll say anything, but he overdosed on, you know, Mm -hmm. on methadone and, you know, with, with that, there's also shame of that he was taking methadone and all that stuff. But, but, um, 
I wish people would say it because it's the truth and because it lets people know that it happens and it's not a secret and it's, yeah. but people are so scared of suicide, you know, obviously. Yeah. That's why people don't talk about it. Right. Cause they, another group delusion. Maybe if this time, if we don't talk about it, maybe, you know, maybe it won't have been the truth or maybe it won't, you know, right. just, it doesn't work. That it doesn't, doesn't work. work. And I think the other thing that I realized going through the deaths of both my parents and one being of, of an overdose is that people, people, the, and cancer, the whole thing, what people are really saying is when they ask questions or when they're curious or when they're in, they, they're scared is what they are saying is I, oh my God, am I going to die by suicide too? Or, mm -hmm. oh my God, is someone I love going to get cancer? Yeah. And the answer is maybe. Yes, and probably. nobody wants, nobody wants that answer. Yeah. People want, oh no, not you. You're good, mm -hmm. kind, happy human being. You have good relationships. You went to good schools. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. It's just not the truth. And, but we love, like you always say, the mass delusion of the mass delusion of everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it is sometimes, and sometimes it's not okay. Um, it's not I'm so sorry to hear that that happened. Yeah, yeah it was, it, it is disappointing. And I agree. I'm with you. I think it should be said because I think the more it gets said, the more people realize this is not an, an anomaly that somebody would overdose and or suicide a lot of people are suffering. And I guess the other thing I wanted to say is like, check on your cheery friends too. I mean, you know, just because somebody is constantly radiating positivity doesn't mean that they don't have that. And, and that, you know, if, and if you have an established thing with this person, like, oh, you're so positive, you're so happy, make sure that they know that it's okay if, if one day they're, they're not. So your mom didn't know anything about your dad's drug use? Well, I mean, no, she did. She did. She's she. So it was like a gradual. That's the other thing. Some of these opioid and, and, and opioid substitute overdoses are, gra are so gradual that the end and originally used to treat real injury that it, it's a, it looked like a different way. And this was during that time of pain clinics. So he just went to a, and they don't exist anymore. They're illegal. Right. So, so he just went, he had, he, he broke his back, a, a bone in his back, and he got, and his knees were bad from playing basketball, and then he had gained a lot of weight. And, and so, he's just so big. He's so tall. Right. Big guy. He was 6'9", you know, so, and then he he went to one of these pain doctors who just kept giving him pills, and I think my mother was like, wanted, look, this sounds really morbid, but I think, and this is totally normal, that there's a part of her that wanted him to die. I mean, and not because she's evil, but because marriage is a very complicated thing and addiction and disease and depression are very complicated. So I think that there was a part of her that wanted him or, or, or I should say wanted him to go away. I, 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 I don't know about die, but, but leave her life. She wanted mm -hmm. to leave. She, you know, so, and I felt that before with my, with my dad, where I'm like, dude, you got to get it together or just, you know, mm -hmm. go, go somewhere. So I think that, she turned a blind eye. She also was very consumed with her own life and her own work and was also wanting to leave him and didn't know how to do it. And so I think it was just a storm of, I'm going to be in denial. I'm going to let you do your own thing. I'm going to let you, and I'm not going to, 
I'm done trying to help you or take care mm-hmm. of you, which mm-hmm. I totally understand. So it's like a complicated thing. And I think that she had a lot of shame about my father in general, that he wasn't because, you know, she was a immigrant bootstraps kind of you work and work. And he, he, he wasn't that way. And I think that she had a lot of shame about my father. And instead of working it out in herself in therapy and together, she just kind of went into, I'm going to work and do my own thing. You're on your own. Good luck after years mm-hmm. of trying to help him. And so, um, yeah, I was just like, oh, you really don't want to look at this. And and um, when when we were at that doctor's office for her cancer treatment, it just really struck me that like, oh, yeah, you're not going to talk about this in a way that is. Um, Dude, and, and at every level, people have ignored the opioid crisis. I was just listening to this whole thing about the Sacklers. I've actually yeah. read kind of a lot about them. And we, we had gone to the Met the other day and we went to the, you know, tomb uh, or the uh what's what you know like they have a um they have a huge life-size tomb in there and uh and i said oh yeah this is the house that oxycontin built you know it's like it's this amazing service that's providing to the public but at the same time a lot of people had to die for it um did i ever tell you about the pill mill doctor that we knew uh, Aaron, oh, somebody, yes. Yes, he, this doctor, the, the father of, uh, of a friend of Aaron's, um, like lived in Chicago and ran a pill mill in another state and he got raided and went to jail and his mother just, I mean, I, I watched her just really fall apart and we, we thought it was because she was losing him um, you know, he was in prison, but it turned out that he was giving her pain meds and masking a huge brain tumor. So she ended up dying very quickly after he went to prison because she had started having headaches and he was a doctor. He had started, she started having headaches and he just started giving her whatever it was, Vicodin. And she never went to get it checked out any further and and she died. I mean, that's a that's also I mean, that's the other thing about not talking about drug addiction and not talking about it's uh, it's the combo of the shame and the and the fear that it will happen to you and yes. and this wrong headed belief that if we don't acknowledge it, we don't speak it, we don't say I mean, I also uh i didn't become addicted to pain meds but i got pain meds prescribed to me uh, after my first child and when they ran out i was like um i need more and i got i think i got like three refills of that i would have just kept using them forever if the doctor had kept prescribing them luckily you know it was happening right around the time that the awareness of that was really becoming known and but I remember being like, I want my pills. Yeah. I, I need these pills. And I totally didn't. I, the injury was long past and I was totally healed up. And and I had convinced myself it, it's, it's real. very, very frightening. Anybody can become addicted to that after just being given it once. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, and it, um, 
the other thing is the the mixture of a lot of people you know are drinkers with pills and that's the number one way people overdose is mixing that Mm -hmm. stuff and they don't ever teach you about that and then you add Mm -hmm. benzos in and it's a whole clusterfuck Mm -hmm. of hell and um Mm -hmm. yeah so my my dad yeah my dad was taking regular you know good old probably vicodin or oxys and then that wasn't enough so they put him on methadone and methadone was the, what killed him. I mean, he killed him, but methadone helped, you know. And Oh, the doctor prescribed methadone? I didn't re- I don't think I realized so that part of it. So the pain doctors would prescribe methadone at, for pain when the pain got too great. So basically they're giving their patients straight up heroin or, a, yeah. you, you a know. Yeah, yeah. So that's what killed my father was um liver failure and and a total body organ failure due to overdose of of methadone pills it was crazy so and he got those from a pain doctor so and i called the pain clinic after he died because it was still in operation i said i just want you to know that my my father was a patient here and he overdosed on your drugs they were like oh you know and i said "This this is his name I, I can't do anything about it. You know, it's not like I was, I wasn't going to sue them or whatever other, you know, later there's huge class action suits. Right. But I, I just said, I want you to know. And then mm-hmm. I hung up. I just mm-hmm. needed to tell them like, look, your, your, yes. your quote patient under your quote care is quote dead. Very right. dead. Right. Um, right. So anyway, yeah, it's a real wow. deal. It's the real it's a real stuff. deal. Yeah. And if you are uh, taking and uh, pain meds and you are concerned that it might be a problem there's a ton of help and i will post something in our right. show notes about you're the greatest resources uh, for help and and just on it before we and that was you know sometimes it is what it is we have to end on a sad note but i wanted to say one more thing before so i was talking to someone and i said i said we were talking i was talking to them about you and about us and i said oh she's she's a real you a real visionary she's like i could see her directing something i could see her really she's a really got an eye long picture big picture eye they're like what about you i was like oh no no in that in this operation i just want to wear the designer sunglasses <laughs> yes and we deserve all of the so, sunglasses. i thought that was funny i i, I was just like oh no, no i just want free free designer sunglasses today on the podcast we're so excited we're talking with nick whitcomb nick whitcomb is um, a teacher an arts advocate an activist a podcaster an actor a director and a casting associate he he really he talk about multi-hyphenate nick is is amazing and just a funny caring real authentic and loving human being so please enjoy our conversation with nick wickham oh you mean you're the headset yeah, this was my phone headset, and then it died. And so I was like, well, let's see if it works. It works. And apparently it does. It's born again. <laughs> Nick Whitcomb, congratulations. You survived theater school or a theater program at a university, yes. right? And, yes. And it, was that in Nebraska? It was. It was in Omaha, Nebraska, Creighton University. I have to tell you, there are so many wonderful people who came from Nebraska, People like some of my heroes. Fred Astaire. I did oh. not know Fred Astaire. <laughs> Marlon Brando. Oh my god. Oh, I did not know about Marlon Brando. No, I, I 
I mean, just people that Malcolm I... X. Really? Oh, Malcolm X? He was from Omaha? He's born here. He's born here, at least. Oh, how cool. Oh, that's <laughs> we like to celebrate that. We claim what we can. Yeah, claim we just got to get in where you fit in, everybody. <laughs> no, but like certain comedians and writers I like, I just hear Nebraska coming up more than you might otherwise think. And so I'm just curious, what makes for such a... I mean, there's like just so many artists coming out of... A, te- a, a place that n- not necessarily a lot of people think about artists coming from any theories or thoughts about why, why that is yeah no i mean the middle of the country is interesting right and i actually think that a lot of art is going to start moving to the middle of the country because it's going to be cheaper to do this stuff there but anyway i think one thing about omaha i said this to someone yesterday is that there's so much art here, and I think part of that is because if something goes really well, a lot of people will see it because people celebrate art here. Hmm. And if something doesn't go well, um, no one will talk about it because it's Omaha. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so it's a place where you really get to, like, you really get to play with your artistry um, and kind of see what works and what doesn't work. It's a great pilot place. I mean, it's in the middle of Nebraska, so... Well, it's actually on the edge of Nebraska, but it's in Nebraska, which is the middle of the country where no one really locked down anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, like, right now we kind of have the benefit of being one of the few places that are actively up running. Like, what does it look like to have shows in rehearsal? What kind of masks are the best on stage? Oh, um, like, th- those types of things. So it's so it's kind of like its own little bubble that doesn't get a lot of attention, which is like a plus and a minus. Right. I, I, you know, what I was going to say about Omaha is that when I went, when I drove from once from LA to Chicago, we stopped in Omaha. I fell in love with Omaha. I wanted to move there after visiting for two days. I had no idea what, I was like, what is happening That happens here? to people. And then people move here. Like, I literally just talked to someone who I was like, how did you end up here? And he was like, well, I was, um, you know, because I'm on the apps. I'm, I'm on the swipeys and stuff. And he was like, I um, I just came here for a work thing. And then I was like, this is nice. And I moved. <laughs> wow. and, I, and that happens so, so often. Like, I literally was, do- I was doing a workshop of the show with the Actors Theater of Louisville. And one of the people was like, he was like, yeah, I just moved to Omaha, Nebraska. I live in this nice cobblestone area. And I was like, wait a minute. Why are you talking about the old market in Omaha? Why, why did you move there? He's like, well, I came for a work trip. Like five years ago and i was and i was like i need a change in my life and i remembered my trip to omaha and so i just i bought a condo in omaha and i was like what <laughs> why no That's hilarious I, beautiful the 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 market just it's beautiful that area is beautiful and also i found the people really lovely and what you said about like no one's gonna say anything if you screw like i i felt like people were really nice and even even to a fault but like if you're insecure as a human, it's a great place because they won't be like, you look terrible today. They'll be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, oh, hey. I love, wow, what's going on? It's so exciting. Aida Osment, by the way, is a, is a writer and a, she has a podcast and she agreed. I think she said the same thing. Like watch, she said like, watch my words. People are going to be moving to Omaha. Artists are going to be, coming in droves and that's what you did you were living in chicago and you came back and you have as far as i understand a career that you are in love with Uh, yes um i came back to omaha i work at the rose theater which is the children's theater that i grew up at actually so it's a full circle moment um i mean of course the pandemic is what brought me back here because all my work ceased in chicago Mm -hmm. um 
And then the person that was in this position left and they got this new building. And so it just seemed like a really good moment for me to come home and kind of see what I could make. I was never really trying to run away from Omaha. It's just like I couldn't make money doing what I wanted to do there. Mm -hmm. um, and things are changing now. Is, and I'm able to make more opportunity for myself, which is exciting. That is exciting. Is So is the Rose Theater a children's theater? Yes, the Rose Theater is a children's theater, um, one of the top in the nation. Um, and we now have a new space. So I, so there's the Rose Theater, which is downtown, super historic building, building opened in like 1920. Um, and then there is this building that I'm in right now that I'm currently talking to you from, which is the Rose Studios for Youth Artists, which is what I manage. It's a 27,000 square foot Holy. arts training facility. Um, it's the largest arts training facility of its kind in the U.S., um, we've got like six dance studios, two voice studios, a, a design room, a music classroom, a like 200 seat sharing space. Amazing. Um, it's, it's incredible. And, and that's the other thing. That's like, there's so much space here in Omaha that like, right. we can open something like this. Right, yeah. <laughs> such a treat. And what is your job there? I am the Broadway at the Rose manager. Very vague. So Broadway <laughs> at the Rose is an education program that's housed in this uh, facility. Um, and so I manage all the happenings of Broadway at the Rose. So that's all the financials and the scheduling of the spaces. And um, I manage like rentals that come in and out. And um, when that starts happening, of course, that when, that'll that be something I'll do. And I was just building backstage. So I was putting together tables with a technical director the other day. And all uh, there's a dance team that Jen and I love to talk about. Um, there's, I, I, I'm now the manager of a dance team, um, which the dance world is a whole thing that I didn't even, I, it's a whole, whole new world, whole new world. You're it's, the manager uh, of a dance team? That's so exciting. <laughs> so, so there's the competition director and then I do all the like, all the financial stuff. I like make sure they're registered for competitions. I like submit that payment. There was a crazy. big thing about costumes and masks and leotards uh, with masks. Yes. And so, Nick was involved. So. And I was like, this is a series on like a lifetime waiting to, or some show waiting to happen. Okay. So being a, just a true original fan of Dance Moms, I have to know... Is there an Abby Lee Miller in your midst? Do you have a firm, tough, and excellent dance teacher? So we do not have any Abby Lee Millers. All of our dance teachers are really nice and incredible. And like, I mean, they're firm and tough and they get what they need out of the kids. But like, there's no, there's no pyramid. There's no, <laughs> there's no Abby Miller treatment. Uh, there are crying? some moms. Is there a lot of crying? Um, there, there is, some, you know, this is, this might get a little sad. So there was one, there was one day where a child did cry, but like, she was like, she was dancing and then she broke down and she was like, I'm just so tired of wearing this mask. Like, Aww, I, yeah. <laughs> like she, she was like, it's just my breathing is different. I feel like I'm not my best dancer anymore. Aww. Like, and it was so, it, it, that was one of those moments where like, like, it's been so tough for us like as adults and everyone mm -hmm. but like in that moment i was like oh this kid like mm -hmm. what like what? And, and i see kids all the time like we're pretty fully functional our classes aren't in full capacity but i see kids coming in and out and what i'm impressed by is that like these kids like when i'm like put your mask on they're like like they do it mm -hmm. they put their mask on it. and and like they they don't complain about the fact that they, they're they're singing full songs like <sighs> Dancing to wow. Oliver Twist, wearing masks. Like, I can barely make my bed with a mask on. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> but the kids, like, I mean, these kids are doing full, 
full-out dance choreo with these masks on. And so I, when I got here, I was like, wow. I was like, you know, yes, there is plenty to complain about. Yes, there is, like, this is annoying. But, like, these kids can do it. Like, we should at least do it for them. Like, yeah. at least, and, and then to see her have that moment of just, like, ah, like, I was like, ah, oh, no. But everyone here is super supportive. Everyone, like, really rallies around each other. It's really, it really is a family. And, like, there's that, that contentious nature of dance moms, like, the parents get a little crazy sometimes. Like sure. there was, there is, there is some situations where you're like, okay, um, <laughs> we need to take a few steps back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like when we were doing the the winter sharing, which is like their their debut before they go and do their um, competitions, and we were told that we were infringing on their children's rights to applause by not allowing an audience. Um, oh, so oh, there, oh wait, excuse that. me, pardon me. Let's <laughs> up just a second. A a a, a right. To applause. A right to applause. These children have a right to. I need that. I need that in my apartment. Every five seconds, my husband to go. Is this in the Bill of Rights? I don't think so, but okay. I'll give I'll give him credit for uh, trying. Yeah. <laughs> so it was an effort. Effort. So okay. So tell us. So you're uh, the first person I think we're talking to so far who did a program, but not in a conservatory. I'm guessing it was probably just as intense, though. So uh, what can you share with us about the experience of being in a theater program? Where would you say you said the name of the university? University in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. You know, the funny thing about it is I, so I started and I was a BFA. So Creighton offers a BFA to people. Um, but the only difference between the BFA and the BA is like a very long paper. Like there's, okay. like I had all this, all the same like prerequisites, but it was like, this isn't a, like nothing is changing about the way that we are doing this training mm-hmm. besides me writing a paper that you don't want to read and I don't want to research. Yeah. Like, so, so like my senior year, um, I left the BFA. I was like, I, like I had a thesis show. I was supposed to be the director in um in uh, Noises Off. I love that play. And that was going to be my like thesis performance. And then I was like, you know, one, I don't know what I'm would write about. Like, what what is this? What am I doing? Um, and two, like I'd rather not have that many lines in my last semester when I'm like working elsewhere and like I'm doing all these other gigs and I'm teaching and. Um, and, and so, and I did cabaret instead, it was just in the ensemble, which was fantastic. Um, but my time at theater school was, uh, it was, it was interesting. I mean, it was fun because I have no other marketable skills. So theater is <laughs> the Same. only option that I had. Um, and I just, it also just really showed me how much I loved what I did, um, and how much I like this thing and how good I am at it. Cause I am not a student. I don't like school at all like <laughs> was not a great student my mom said the sophomore year some like alien moved into her house sophomore year of high school she was like i don't know what happened because you used to care about stuff and have good grades and i was like well i don't know my priorities have shifted um i'd rather try to find work professionally so i actually started as my freshman year of high school, of college i went to the university of northern iowa um which i love that program it was so great it just wasn't a match for me um, and then I moved back to Omaha, partially because Creighton was doing musicals in Northern Iowa wasn't at that point. But mostly, I had thought that I had, I had learned everything. I was like, I've done everything in Omaha. Like, I can go, but I clearly hadn't. And I came back and started working, like, not only doing school, but I got to audition and work as an actor. I got to teach classes. I got to start assistant directing around the city. And so my experience in Omaha was, like, of coming back to Omaha for college was so that I could start working professionally. Mm. 
Um, and had I not done that, I don't think I'd be where I am right now. Um, like because of my time in Omaha and, and working for those three years of college, I was able to make a name for myself and build a resume and and kind of get myself to the place where by 27, I'm like, cool, I've done all these things and now and now I can come back to Omaha. I'm not the jaded person that stayed in Omaha forever mm-hmm. and was like, this, this career will never happen. Like I went, I did the thing, I had the career and I'm still having the career. Um, but I was, but now I'm able to see Omaha as a place where, like, cool. Now I can go plant some seeds and start some stuff, um, and and making that name for myself during college is what kind of. Wait a minute, you've done happen. all this and you're only 27. Yes. <laughs> ambitious, Boz. We need to get more ambitious. Come on, let's get on the set. I, I, I can I can barely make my bed. Like I said, that's my ambition. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so but tell me, I, I'm curious about. We'll get back. We'll go back to Crichton in a second. But I'm curious about you as a little kid and your acting. Did you? Were you an actor as a kid? A singer? A child, like you? You're a musical musical human. Yes. Were you a, that way as a child as well? Yeah, I was. I mean, I've always, I don't know when I started singing because I never really wasn't. Um, it took me a long time to want to perform in front of people, though. Like I did church, I did choir at church and I was like, I did the summer program that we always had a, 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 a like I had a solo in and the first solo I had, I like turned my back to the audience and wouldn't do it. It was terrible. Um, so that's always something I've done. And when I was six, um, there was a kid in my uh, reading class. I was always in advanced reading classes as a kid. Um, Because mom taught me how to read when I was like three. Mostly because I'm an only child. I'm an only child. And so she didn't want anything to do with me. And so she just (laughs) hooked on phonics on and had me sit in the corner all day. Um, And it worked for you. It worked so well. Um, But yeah, so I've always been a great reader. And I I loved reading. I was always in like a reading class above. Like in kindergarten, I was I was sent to the library to do like book reports while the other kids were learning like how to read because I knew how to read. Um, and so when I turned six, there was this kid in my reading class that gave the best book reports. Like they were always so entertaining. He was so engaging and like, he would play these characters and like do these voices. Um, and then he brought these brochures to class and was like, my mom teaches at this place. It's called the Rose. And I was like, if I go to the Rose, I will get better at book reports. Mm. And so that is how I started taking theater classes Mm -hmm. was, by going to the rose. And the truth is, I'm a very shy, I was a shy kid. I didn't like talking to people. I only talked to my mom. I didn't really like performing. Like, like it took me a long time to even like try, like sing an audition when they were like, prepare a song. It took me forever to actually prepare that song to go to the audition because I was so nervous. Um, but I loved the rose. I loved like playing make-believe and like running around and, and like walking through jello and, and doing all these things. It was, it was just so great. And so I just never stopped. I started when I was six. I just kept some, every year. The, I mean, whenever the brochure came out each season, my mom was like, circle the three classes you want. I would circle those classes. I'd circle the class for the summer. So I just started doing musicals and doing shows year round at the age of six Whoa. without even thinking about it. I was just I was just like doing it. I was like, this is just what I do. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school that my teacher was like, what are you gonna do for your life? I was like, I don't know. I thought I wanted to be a computer programmer, but I don't, I just don't, that takes math and science and I hate those things. So I just don't even know. And he was like, well, why don't you go to school for theater? And I was like, cause that's not a job. I was like, you can't, you can't go to school for theater. And he was like, my degree is in theater. And I was Oops. like, what? Really? And so I looked into it and I was like, I guess I can. And I guess I've been doing this my whole life. So I guess it makes sense. And so I just did. It was literally my choice to go to theater school was like, uh, it was the biggest question mark, and it was a last-minute decision. I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't know what to do because I was just doing this thing. It just it didn't seem like 
I needed to get a career, a, a degree or, or like that I could make it a career. I was just like, I'm doing, I'm, this is just what I do. It's just fun. Did you have to audition uh, to go to Iowa or did you just sign up? How did it work? I didn't see that's how bad of a theater student I am. I didn't audition for a single theater school. I had, cause I didn't want to, right. I was like, <laughs> I, was like <laughs> I was like, I am no, I was like, my mom really wants me to go to college. I really don't like school. Um, but I guess I, I can go. And the reason I went to Northern Iowa because there was an intern at the Rose at the time who went to Northern Iowa. And I love, I was like, she's great. Like, she's so cool. Clearly I have to go to that school so I can be as cool right. as she is. And so that was, that was my Northern Iowa decision. Um, and they had a theater for youth department. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Um, and then I was like, nah, never mind, not for me. I just need to start working. <laughs> Honestly, the number of times we hear on here that it was one person who, you know, influenced, it's, it's really, I, and I have three kids, it, it's kind of scary to think about what an impact, you know, a, a, you have on people at a young age or that a person can have on other people at a young age. So what shows did you do in school? Oh, what shows? Let's see. Let's see. My freshman year of college at UNI, I did Bat Boy the Musical. <laughs> Um, and I played, I really wanted to play Bad Boy, but I was like, I'm a freshman, they're not going to cast me, whatever. So I, pay, I played the Reverend, who does the revival at the top of Act 2. And then I also played the God Pan. Um, so that was fun. Um, I have pictures of that. I can send oh, please do. <laughs> and then, let's see, sophomore year, I moved back to Omaha. The first show I did at Creighton was Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was Eddie Ryan, the black choreographer in 1920. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually looked up Burt Williams, who was a vaudeville black choreographer in the 1920s, and that's kind of like that was my first time being like, oh, like I can build a, I can do some research here. This is interesting. Um, and then that started a trend at Creighton, where I always played someone in a power position that I shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> so like we did we did Dames at Sea, and it was the 1930s, and I was a sea captain. Um, there was no one to research for that. Yeah. Uh, so that, so, so that was that. Um, what else did we do? We did cabaret. I was in the ensemble. Um, I was also the gorilla in that production. Ew, that's, that's, Wait, there's that's, a gorilla in no. Chicago? It's, it's, in, in cabaret. Oh, cabaret. There's a I'm thinking of Chicago, yeah. sorry. In cabaret, a gorilla. Okay, I don't remember yeah. that. There's a song called If You Could See Her Through My Eyes. Okay. And it's and it's a metaphor for how the Jewish folks are being treated in Germany, but it's this gorilla, and the MC is singing this song that's like, if you could see her through my eyes, you like you think she's so beautiful, like you wouldn't think anything wrong of her, mm. and you know it's yeah. So they cast me as the gorilla, um, and I, I was like walking around on stage in a giant gorilla suit and a dress like dancing. It was, no, we will not be showing pictures of that. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have any pictures of that. Um, what else did I do at college? Um, that was the last show I did. What a treat. I, while I was in school, I did some shows too. So I did I did Hands on a Hard Body at the Omaha Community Playhouse, mm-hmm. um, which is, for those that don't know, is a show about a truck. It's like about one of those competitions where you put your hand on the truck what? and whoever keeps their hand there the longest wins. I've never yeah. heard of anything like that in my life. <laughs> you've, wait, you've never heard of these competitions? Wait, what? A truck? Yes. Yeah, so so there's this truck and people want to win it. So like whoever holds their hand on the truck for the longest without taking their hand off. Is it off, hot or something? 
No, no, no it's like going- you date like hours and hours and hours of standing, holding your hand on the track. Yeah, like days, days. It can be weeks. Like if you're just holding onto this truck, you get a break every once in a while. But like, so they, so this is a documentary that someone took and made a musical out of. It's two and a half hours. Oh. <laughs> so that was another show I did during college. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm just, I, I did, I got to do a lot of shows when I was in school, both at school and the community, which was super awesome. Wow. That is fantastic. I mean, I, I love the fact that you, so did you have to take a certain number of classes and then, and they obviously let you do whatever you wanted on the outside. So that's what differs. Like also we were not allowed to do anything professional at all. Not that I would have been hired. I mean, no one would have hired right. me, but I couldn't even try. So what I like the, uh, the fact is that like, I really like the idea that you were able to start establishing. No wonder. I mean, you've been able to do so much, maybe partially because you were able to do stuff while you were in school totally well and i was a rebel in that sense like there were there were a lot of people who i've I've always kind of been a rule breaker but a rule breaker in the sense of like i'm like rules are one rules are made to be broken and two someone made that up like that's not a real Mm -hmm. thing um so like so when there were a lot of people like there was this uh girl that i went to school with who booked roxy and cabaret at the omaha community playhouse during school and they told her she couldn't do it until she didn't and and i was like where in what contract did I sign that says that I can't take jobs outside of mm-hmm. school? Um, and so there was actually, when I did hands on the hard body, it was, that was a bit of a sticking point because I was supposed to be in Noises Off, but I had dropped my thesis. So then I wasn't casting Noises Off anymore. I had to audition for it. And then I booked hands on a hard body, which conflicted with Noises Off and Cabaret. And so I told the director of Noises Off, I was like, sorry, I'm not doing Noises Off anymore. And he was like, what? I was like, I'm not auditioning. I'm sorry. And he was like, uh, uh, why? And I was like, because I booked the show, and he was like, uh, and he was he was sad. But what can you do about right. it? And then and then I told the director of cabaret, I was like, I am. I mean, because the director of Hands on Hardbody was brand new artistic director. She had these New York credits. Like she like was an assistant for David Henry Huang. I was like, I was like, I can't throw this away. I was like, I gotta work for this person. Like, and now we're good friends. Um, and I. I told the director of Cabaret, I was like, I, I booked this show, like, so I can audition, but, and she was like, well, you'll only be considered for ensemble. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> and I said, that's fine so quickly that I think it, like, spun her around. Um, and, like, and that was the thing is that, like, I'm, I've never been someone that has been, like, nervous of the people in power. Never. Or, like, I've decisions. seen this in action at PR casting where, like, I'm freaking out because of something. And, and Nick is just like, do-do-do, I don't care. The clients are here they're just people and i'm like over here like this like freaking out you you have a way about quality that's a great quality i love that so uh one of the things that we talk a lot about is the teachers the professors in theater programs and conservatories sometimes they're frustrated professionals themselves um and that in certain cases makes for a somewhat toxic environment and i'm just wondering like what your relation you've established that you don't worry too much about authority but what were your relationships like with your professors at creed totally yeah so i mean i mean the professors at creighton are great individuals we differed on what we should be learning and kind of like the way in which they treated the students um of course um a lot i mean a lot of that comes from just like not really harnessing the talent of the folks that are there. 
I've always been someone that has that has really big issues, like like that. I that I feel like I'm like 87 years old because I'm like, we should be looking at the people involved <laughs> and seeing what we can do, which is like so not a college child question. Like like in college, I should be like, oh, you didn't cast me this way. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but I was like, we have this is the these are the most theater students you're gonna have in a long time. You need to utilize wow. us. And they're like, what? They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, let's do cats. Anyway, <laughs> Um, but my relationship, you know, I have, I have, I had good working relationships with my professors, and I think that that was, that was something that I established really quickly was that like, I'm one, I pay for you to be here, so like, since I'm paying for this, like, you don't, you don't get to have this like domineering quality over me, and two, we are in this together, we are mm-hmm. working to make this thing happen, and so like, I've never really, that's part of my thing is I never really platform people. Um, like I'm just always coll- I'm I'm collaborating with people like we and and because of that my professors now are, are people that I still collaborate with like every once in a while I get a text message from one of my professors Alan Clem and he's like hey just checking in <laughs> to see how you're doing mm-hmm. um, and like there I'm in talks with Creighton uh, every once in a while about like coming back to direct stuff and um, our our senior designer at Creighton works at the Rose sometimes professionally and so I'll see him around at a tech or, or whatever and I'll be like hey Bill and he's like oh you're back in town I'm like yes I am and and we just get to like have this like professional friendly conversation oh, that is um, not my experience I I, 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 I just a, a teacher checking in on you later I, I I don't I doubt that they would remember who I was except for like really I don't I so that this is mind-blowing so you still keep your in touch with your teachers as collaborators yeah I try to I mean I've I've always been someone who and this is what I say to people all the time when I do like casting panels or whatever is I'm like you never know what piece of the network will work when? Like yeah, so, as much as you can, if, if you want to stay in touch with those people. Now, I'm not saying stay in touch with everybody. There's some people who have completely, mm-hmm. and we don't talk mm-hmm. at all. Um, that was me signing. For people that, that was me signing. <laughs> you had a nice little sound life. at the end of it. I think it. I think it read. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but you know, I'm always like, you know, if you're not, you know, horrible, and I can deal with you in life, and you weren't like racist or you're not sexist or homophobic or, or anything terrible and and why not keep you around just to be like hey it's like because also people grow like and and people learn and and i think that it's important to i'm not someone that always extends the benefit of the doubt because i feel like in 2021 that gets extended a little too often at this point but but still like i mean there are some people that i met even three years ago that i'm like the world is different now and i'm sure that you have different opinions about what you said and so why why write you off? Like and 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 when I was a college student, like there's so much in this hierarchy that we create for ourselves that I'm like sometimes you can't fault that teacher for acting in that terrible way. I mean you can and you should, but that's just what they're that's how they think it looks. That's what they think it looks like. So by coming in and just being like, "Hello, I'm professional. We're going to treat each other like professionals," like that would set the tone of how they would work for like work with mm-hmm. people. That you have to set that tone. That's that's unbelievable. A lot of times when we talk to people who have that approach and i asked them where it came from they they say their families is that true for you too the sense of like you really know yourself you really could see the whole landscape it might also be make be what makes you a good director but just your ability to see the whole playing field and 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 not feel afraid about it is that something you feel like you took from your parents totally yeah my mom i mean strong single mother so like that's definitely where my strength and my 
Also, I mean, we talk about this all the time. We're like, we don't really talk much to each other. We need to work on that. Like, just like really like having like an open, honest, just because that's not something that, you know, as the only one in the household and as the as the breadwinner, as a business owner, like there was such a shell that she had to put on. And I'm thankful for that shell because I learned to keep that shell. And as a black man working in this industry, like that shell has protected me and saved me in ways that I can't even imagine. Um but so so working on tearing that down. Um, this is another show. We're gonna have a. <laughs> well, that's what the show ends up being um, anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, but yeah, I mean, my mom taught me so much about theater and didn't even know it because she's not a theater person. I remember I was super sick, uh, like when I was opening my first show ever, once on this island, Junior, at the Rose, and I got sick and I had laid down on the couch. I was like, I'm not going. My mom was like, What are you doing? And I was like. I'm I'm sick. Like I, I clearly can't perform the show, and she was like, um, "I paid for this, and they need you. Get up." And I was like, "Oh!" And I learned in that moment the show has to go on. Like we have to do the show. Like, like there's 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 no option. We got to do it. Or when I do an audition, and and then I'm, I like I I used I got called back from my first audition. I was like hyperventilating, going crazy. Mom was like, "Nicholas, calm down. They like you. Like he invited you back." And I was like, oh, and that was a huge like, oh, like I've already done my job. I'm already, I already got called back or I'm in the room. Like, fine, let's just do your job. Like there were so many lessons that she taught me. Um, and then just working her operate as a business person. Like she was super um, compassionate. Um, she was dedicated to her work. She, she ran a daycare out of her house. And so she loved those kids, but she was also stern with the parents. And she was very strict about like what she would allow in her house and what she wouldn't. Um, she's very great at setting boundaries. Um, so there's so much just from my upbringing that my mom didn't even realize she was teaching me. Um, but I, I, it really helped me not just as a person, but as an artist. And it's kind of amazing to look back. A lot of it has to do with boundaries. I, I didn't really put that together until you just said that, but that's probably the bulk of it is just this idea. If you, if you, and like you're saying, you don't have to be explicit about it, but if you treat yourself and your child, like they're complete people that d- it doesn't, depend on somebody else's regard of them that just automatically instills like the right idea to go through life with it yeah and you know and my mom's gonna fight me for saying this because you know in a black household what you hear more than anything is i ain't one of your little friends but that's my friend like like we've been friends for my entire life um and she's always let me know how much she appreciated me and cared about me and like and how much she loves me and and that has been so great because it's like I said, that hierarchy thing. Like I've I've never felt like I was beneath my mother. Like I knew that she was the one in charge, but like, but we've always just it's always just been like me and mama, like we're kicking it, like our vacations are us taking naps. Like yes. it's like we like like that's that's just always been our relationship. And she's always taught me to walk into any room fearlessly because I deserve to be in that oh space. My gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um now you are in the position I I know you're not teaching, right? You're not teaching at the Rose. Uh, you're doing more administrative um, It depends. Last week, uh, our <laughs> my boss got her uh, first COVID vaccine, and so she was super sick. And she called me and was like, hey, um, could you sub my tap classes? Tap? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a tap dancer, but I had no rhythms, and I could, like, work on the arms. Um, but, yeah, so, every, so since I have an experience as a teacher, like, I get brought in every once in a okay. while to, like, sub, sub classes mostly. So I'm still... I like to I like to keep it all okay. fresh. Okay. Well, because I was going to say that's such a beautiful thing when people who were felt really informed by a theater or an institution and they get to go back and be a teacher there. That is like such a rich experience to draw from because you know what it's like to be 
you know, the stu- you know what it's like on on both sides of things. Do you identify like younger versions of yourself with kids there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because I've been at this company for twenty years. Like I've I've been here longer than most of the people that work here. Like so, and I've been here as a student and as a front of office, front front house person and as a box office person and. Um, a membership assistant and a guest director and a choreographer. And like, I just know so many sides of this company. So like what's, what's really weird to me is <laughs> seeing kids come in that I taught years ago and being like, you're tall now. Like <laughs> when did the, and you're doing, you're, you're about to graduate. Mm-hmm. What? Like, like, I feel like, um, like the people that in my life, I was always like, please leave me alone. Of course I'm tall now. Like, you're right. People yeah. grow, like you know, like you're, and now I'm like, oh my, I'm one of those yeah. people. Oh, oh like, yeah, uh huh, yes. Is, <laughs> it gets insane. worse. So, <laughs> so I mean, but you know, last night we were about to open our uh, first show in this in the sharing space. There hasn't been a performance in the space yet, and it's opening tonight. Oh actually. wow! Oh, happy um, opening! So saw, Thank you. We built a backstage. It's amazing. So many things you don't think about. You're like, I never thought about building a backstage. I was like, oh, that's my responsibility. Mm, now. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, there was, they're doing Thoroughly Modern Millie. And there's this kid that's playing this role. And he's playing the role. Um, and I was just like, you need like more. Like, I just know that you have so much more to provide, especially because you just came out for the curtain call and then the car will into a split. Oh, wow. And so don't save it. Yeah. Don't save it until the end. Like, and he was like, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. And and it's moments like that when I'm like, like, it's like, I'm like, this is, this is a kid that like probably doesn't feel seen at school or like, or, or whatever, like not to make a story for them, but I'm like, but the, but the idea that like, I remember being a kid that was like the shy one that was like, I'm doing the best I can. And someone was like, no, you're not, you can do better. And so I, and so I wanted to, I wanted to rise to that challenge. So like, that's, that's what do you think is um, contributes to your lack of toxicity as a, as a human being? I'm serious. I'm serious. In, like, is that resilient? Is it the boundaries thing, or like, what what makes you not like you know reach out and 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 say to a kid like who's being a jerk? Like, I'm just trying to learn how good teachers are made. I I don't understand. So, how do you do, go into when you see a kid or or someone that's not behaving well? I don't know what makes a good teacher. Boundaries. What else? Yeah, I mean, empathy is huge. I. I'm a big empath, like so much so that people don't stop talking to me. I mean, that's kind of how me and Jen became friends. We just started talking to each other. It was just so easy. We just kept talking. Um, and I was like, I like this person. Um, and this is good. But that's that's just kind of how I walk through life as a very open, open individual, um, which is sometimes a detriment to me because it's, you know, if I leave, if I leave myself too open, then it, it, it can cause harm. Um, but because I know what that feels like to be someone, and I'm a cancer, I'm super emotional. So because I know what it feels like to be hit with that type of like toxic behavior or that rude behavior or whatever, and I've learned to just like take it in stride and keep moving, like I, I never want to put that on someone. I mean, that's why I wanted to be a director. That's why I wanted to be a teacher. I was like, I know that I can get this out of people without being rude. Or like, I know that we can make something together and be happy. Like, why, why does, why is tech we call hell week? Like, why do we have to hate this? Like, this could be fun. I think it could be fun if we just change these things. And so what I love about being able to be a director and teacher and being there in, the, in control is I'm like, yeah, we do get to laugh during tech. And afterwards, no, 
even the technicians get to go home an hour early because why am I giving you tech notes when we're here to give you notes during tech? Like, like they're just they're just all these things that I feel like, especially in the entertainment industry, we've been like conditioned that they have to feel and be terrible. And it's like it's such a mission of mine to be like it doesn't like it really doesn't. I'm telling just, you, I'm dressing up as a cat. I'm running around on stage dressed as a cat. Like we should not be stressed. I'm a cat. Like let's let's be okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, right, and we feel, you say that and everyone on this call is like, oh no, oh no, why is that the feeling? He's right. Right. I'm all for that too. And yeah. I, I feel like that I, I never questioned anything, which is how I ended up in, in a lot of trouble emotionally and, and spiritually and all things in my life. And so good for him for just saying, why, why can't we? And if, and if there's a good reason, there's a good reason, but if there's not a good reason, we should probably all admit there's not a good reason other than it's a hierarchy. Right. Yeah, totally. Well, and as because of that, like as a director, like I say, I make it a point, but like it's, I mean, I just can't imagine walking into a space and knowing people are working there and not saying hello to them. So like on the first, on the first day of tech, like I find the, the fly rail. I like, I, I find the assistant stage manager. I, I find the person that's finishing the painting of the set. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And it's and this happened to me when I was when I was walking around offices of like 
Goodman or it, uh, any of these places I've been, Guthrie, where like I would just start walking people's desks and be like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, hey, what do you need? I'm like, nothing. I'm just saying hi to you. And 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 they would and they would genuinely like have a moment where they're like like stunned and they're like okay and they would like have to think about stopping doing whatever they're doing to be like hey, hello like like it's it's like we forget that we can just talk to the people around us um, which is so interesting because this is an art form of communication um, and it's just but it's not it's not and that's why some people are like well what do you what do you, when we go back to normal, what do you hope we get? And I'm like, well, I hope we don't go back to normal because we were not doing good work. Like we, like we weren't being kind to each other. We weren't being inclusive. Like we were saying we were doing these, but we weren't because clearly like there are some structures that we need to break down. Um, and not just, and not just because it doesn't feel good, but because it's actually harmed people. Like people have been actually hurt by what's happening inside of theatrical institutions. And so it's, it's, so it's always important to me to like, like just just even saying hi to people like there are people that like I said hi to once and then like I, I was I was on the set for a movie I did a movie called I used to go yep. here um, and and so I go in there and I, I was just like nice to people on set I said hi to the crew people I stayed out of the way I and then I shot an episode of station 11 and I didn't have glasses on because I had this like crazy frozen makeup on and this person walked up to me and was like hey you and I used to go here yeah and I was like uh yeah he's like it's me i was on the crew and i like i was like oh yeah it's you like but like even like even that to me i was like i, I talked to that man once but like I, but i was pleasant like in, in that exchange like in, in that part that i feel like everyone's missing just like just be pleasant to me you don't have to be extravagant like i don't gotta bring everybody a gift like i just have to say hello and be kind like that's that's such yeah, that's it. That's all. And, and that shouldn't be an effort. Like if, if you're like, all right, got to go make my rounds and say hi to everyone, then I think that we've got a problem already. <laughs> oh, great question. Well, you know, I, I have my own podcast yep. talk show thing called The Come Up, which I love so much. It's, it, it, I mean, it was a pandemic project like most people have, but it was so, it's just been so thrilling to me to have so many conversations with artists about like, and, and actually get into the discussion about, about the world and how we can change it as artists. Cause I feel like people didn't see us as people in the arts realm until the pandemic happened. And so it's been nice to kind of like keep, keep humanizing the artists. That's been exciting to me. Um, so that's one thing I'm super like passionate about, like just keeping going, moving along. And as you all know, it's, it is a lot, but it is worth it and good and valuable work. Um, and then I, I never know. <laughs> I never know. Like after making the come up, that was the first time that I had a definite thing where I was like, yes, I want to do this. But like, I just, I feel like right now, so much of the world, especially in the theater is like stuck in having the conversation about doing the work of equity and inclusion and, and what that actually means. And I just want to do work. Like, I want to find new. Um, I want to find these authors and be like, "Hey, let's let's adapt your book into a play." Yeah, um, I want to. I want to work with uh, as as a director and like and go. And I would love to direct at the college level just to give folks an experience of not just working with an outside director, but to work with someone who's worked in so many different realms and like has so much experience. Like, I want to share the knowledge that no one gave me in college or through my training, especially specifically as a person in Omaha, Nebraska, um, and help people know that like, 
you can make a career out of this. It just might look different. Here's what that different means, and here's how we can make that happen. And and if and as you go forward, like how about we stop trying to let people fail and make projects that don't work, and let's give people the tools. Like let's talk about budgeting. Let's talk about sustainability. Let's talk about what it means to make accountable programming. Like let's let's have the real nitty gritty conversations of how theater works. Like people need to know how this art form works. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people just don't know. They've done it for years and have no idea how it works. Um, and so is and so I want to break that down for people, um, which is which doesn't seem like an artistic endeavor, but it feels yeah. fun to me. Well, we need it so badly. <laughs> it's so so needed. And what about your acting? What about any more acting for you? What about casting? What about all that? Yes. Yes. Who knows? Right. I mean, it's always something. So I I work very closely with the company here called the Union for Contemporary Art. Um, Denise Chapman is the artistic director. She is incredible. Um, and so she's always got me doing random things. So there's the Great Plains Theater Conference, which is a summer conference. That, or it's now called the Great Plains Theater Commons. Um, it used to be a summer conference in Omaha where all these artists from around the country come and uh, present their work here and workshop it. Um, but now it's going to be year round, which is cool. Um, but so I'm in, I'm doing stage directions and like, I like stage managing one of those. I'm acting another one of those. Um, I just booked this like cabaret show at the Blue Barn Theater that's going to be at the end of May. Um, and uh, wait, hold on. When is this going to play? Because I wasn't supposed to. Oh, well, we can take it out. <laughs> perfect. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, The Rose wants me to work as an artist as well. So I'm doing some, uh, I'm talking about them, about directing some shows. I have a callback for a show next week. So I'm, I'm getting to do, I'm finally getting to do all the pieces of the things, which is exciting. Um, and I'm just excited to to be in my home base, to be in Omaha and to be with these companies that know me and trust me and to kind of see how my career flourishes as I have a good base to stand on right now. It's super exciting. I think the world is truly your oyster. And uh, tell people where they can find you. Yes, um, you can find me at nickwickham.com. That's where all the things are. For my show, you can go to thecomeupwithnickwickham.com. And between those pages, you'll find me on the social medias and everything. So that's those are the places. You're amazing. Thank you for talking with us. And we're coming on your show. I'm Yay. Yes, yes, you are. Uh, thank you for having me. I love this show. And I'm so, I mean, I... Gen- liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. 
can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.